0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. It's good to have you all here today as we, we land this thing. Man, we've been in Samuel since June, right? No, July. We started in July with the summer of Samuel, and, and we went to the fall of Saul and watched Saul kind of go downhill. We've learned a lot about three Major characters: Samuel, um, Saul, and David, and uh, we've we've learned about a lot of people along the way, uh, different individuals, um, characters within the study, um, and so uh, it's been a, it's been a fascinating um, study for me as I've uncovered things each week. Man, i am be like scratching my head, going, "Lord, how are you going to say that anything to me and the rest of the people from this chapter?" Um, I felt that way a little bit this week. Uh, but the Lord, He is faithful, man, and as you continue to dig and, and pray, He always uh, teaches and shows you something uh, new, some some truth you maybe not have seen in a particular passage. And so one of the things is uh, I got good news and I got bad news for you today. Uh, the good news is, is that you're all alive, and the bad news is you're all going to die, like Nothing you can do to get away from it. Unless Jesus returns uh, before your uh, day of departure, we're all going to die. The scripture clearly teaches us in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, just as people are destined to die once and after this, they face judgment. So there are many faces of death. And I've been around death quite a bit in my life, Um, being in the ministry for the past 26 years. I've been at the bedside of a lot of people. And you can go right up there uh, to the curtain of death and you can get next to it with them, but you cannot peer beyond it. It's a journey that you take on your own. And um, it's an experience where I just had to, like, man, the Lord has hes he's just taught me a lot of things in those moments um, about sometimes death can be this glorious thing and sometimes death is a very A sad and painful thing. Now obviously it's always painful and sad uh, for us um, when we say goodbye to a loved one, but but death is not the end. (laughs) You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is that uh, we think that we're in the land of the living going to the land of the dying, but in reality we're in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. Like the soul does not cease to exist at death. We are eternal beings that are created to go on forever and ever and ever, and so like there, there's no there's like there's no such thing as annihilation. The body is, is decays, but for the believer, and we uh, have the blessed hope of the resurrection to look forward to, where our souls will be reunited um, with our body. And so there's there's a lot of ways to to face death, um, and today we look at one. And we see how you don't want to face it. Like the whole series when we call it the fall of Saul was about a guy who had a call in his life and he missed it. And it's a life of destruction for him. And his his uh, the way he faces death, there is no glory in it. It is very sad. It's a gruesome picture. And as we look at it today, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And I'm going to retell the story. And um, try to kind of bring it to life to help us get a little bit of a picture of what was happening beyond just uh, what the words are there. Is like, you know, what was going on um, as this experience took place uh, for King Saul? Well, we know David is celebrating a victory. The Lord has allowed him to escape the battle that he was kind of having to flee into enemy territory among the Philistines um, is where he ended up landing, and the Philistines were going to go to battle against his home country and he was going to have to go, um, and he didn't know I was going to, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to fight my own countrymen? He didn't, and certainly he was not going to do that, being a man after God's own heart. Uh, but he had this, like, he, he had this, this thing going on. So anyway, the Lord spares him, and uh, King Akish will not allow him to go into battle with the Philistines because his men don't like it. And so they send David back, and David finds his hometown has been plundered by the Amalekites, Um, his, uh, his, his wife, like his wife, his children, all all of the guys, wives and children are gone. Um, their livestock is gone. And so they go into a battle and and they are victorious. They recover everything and they go back home. And the the Amalekites, the ones that do get away, the the scripture says there's about 400 of them that rode off on camels, young men, and they tucked their tails and got out of town because God was with David and he was victorious. And so that's what's going on with David. But on the other side uh, of the territory, we find King Saul. He has been um, to see a witch. And the witch has told him, um, supernaturally, she's been able to uh, like give him this message. And he was looking for, what am I going to do? The Philistines are getting ready to attack me. And so he goes by night to get some secret counsel um, from a demonic source. And that demonic source only confirms what God had already told him through the prophet of Samuel. The kingdom is being taken from you. As a matter of fact, tonight you will die, which is ironically what the consequences were for going and seeking out a medium and and seeking information other than from God himself. And so the the medium even confirmed that that night um, Saul and his sons would die. And so we pick up Uh, where Saul has returned back to the battle scene. He had gone by night, and surely by uh, the time the sun rose in the morning, the Philistines were ready to attack, and that they did. And if you read verse 1, it says that the Philistines attacked, the Israelites fled, and many fell slain on Mount Yobo. And, And so, like, man, the Philistines are just moving in. And, and Saul's men just start running because they're like, the Lord is not with them in this battle. The Lord is not with Saul. They have been following Saul, and Saul has led them right into this place of destruction. And so as the Philistines begin to attack and they have success, um, it says that uh, as they fled, that the Philistines see the Israelites fleeing, And so they press hard. And no doubt, they've been fighting all day as uh, finally the Israelites start to retreat and, and and nighttime is ensuing, I believe we can take that away from the text because uh, of the events that, that, that take place toward the end of the chapter, but they they see that they're losing daylight, that, that the day is ending, and so they press as hard as they can to try to end the war and, and get in close to where Saul and his, um, really the battle operation was being orchestrated where the leadership was. And so the fighting grew fierce, and the archers got in range, and they started to release their arrows. And whoosh, 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 whoosh. These arrows are flying through the air, and men have already fled the battle scene, but they're coming and approaching in on, on King Saul, and he looks over, man, and Jonathan, his son, is dead. He looks over, and To the right, maybe, and Abinadab, his other son, is dead. Malchishua, his third son, dead. All of his men that are are leaders, that are like his inner circle, dead. And like a heat-seeking missile, one lone arrow flies through the air and finds its way into Saul's body. We don't know exactly where he was struck, but it was a critical wound, one in which he was not going to recover, but it did not kill him instantly. And lying there in pain, unable to fight, unable to flee, he turns to his armor bearer that many believe is Doeg. You remember him, the Edomite back in Nob, who killed all the priests? He got promoted. And he tells Doeg, he says, I want you to kill me because I don't want the Philistines to come in and do to me what I know they did to Samson. If you know the story of Samson, Samson was a judge in Israel, which Samuel was the last judge, and Samson was one of the judges, the famous story of Samson and Delilah. And eventually, uh, Delilah broke Samson down and found out the secret of his strength that God had had him take a Nazarite vow, and his strength was found in his hair, and they cut his hair, and they were able to Um, finally overtake him, and Samson was wreaking havoc against the Philistines. God had raised up him as a judge to protect Israel before the time of the kings, and and he was so much trouble because he had this supernatural strength that came from God to be able to slay Philistines, and and he used it for for the Lord. And so when he starts succumbing, then ultimately he has a failure on himself, and they come in and attack him and they, when he rises up to respond, he has no strength, and they capture him, and they take him back, and they, they gouge his eyes out. They literally take this man and gouge his eyes out, and they set him to grinding in the prison. He worked at a mill, and he evidently was a big man, and he just ground in the prison, and that's what his life was like. And so, no doubt, Saul is looking at that and thinking, man, I I don't want to go through what Samson had to go through. I know the Philistines can be brutal, and so he tells the armor bearer, I want you to take your sword and kill me, finish me off. And Doag the Edomite says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. He won't do it. And and everybody knew you didn't lay a hand against the Lord's anointed, and so he will not do it. And so Saul does the most selfish thing that he possibly could do, the first suicide we read of in the Scripture. He takes his sword out, and he falls on it on his own. Rather than leaving the decision into the hands of God, he makes the decision himself, and he takes his life. And Doeg is terrified at seeing him His leader do this, and so Doeg takes his sword out, and we see the second suicide. He kills himself. One of the most selfish things an individual can do is take their life. Sometimes we look at that and go, well, it'll ease the pain of everybody. Let me tell you something. My brother took his life, and it doesn't ease anybody's pain. Like, it doesn't fix anything. You just leave behind nephews that don't have an uncle and and children who don't have a father mothers who don't have a son. And so sometimes you may feel like, well, the world would be better off, and you'd just be thinking like Saul. It's the most selfish thing that a person can do is take their own life. And certainly in this instance, I, I know that mental illness exists, and I don't want to be insensitive to that. But in this instance, what we see is a selfish taking of a man's own life because he is afraid of what lies ahead of him. And so he takes matters into his own hands. He takes his life. Doeg follows suit. He takes his life. And Saul and his sons and his men die together that day, just as Samuel has said. The nearby Israelites in other towns heard, and they fled their towns when they heard that all is lost. And it tells us in the scripture that the Philistines moved into their towns. This was the promised land, promised to Abraham, promised to Moses, advanced and taken by Joshua, and now surrendered by the Israelites because of the failure of one man to follow the Lord. There is destruction when we do not walk in obedience, and it impacts greatly those around us, beyond us, our own individual selves. So they have fleed and an enemy has occupied the promised land. And the next day as was custom during this time of battle is that the Philistines came through to strip the dead. And said so we just go through and find people who were fallen and they would take the valuable stuff off them. Off of them, their own as well as the enemies. And whatever you found on an enemy, you kept for yourselves. It increased your wealth. And so they're going through and they're stripping the dead, and lo and behold, they come upon King Saul. And they know it's King Saul. One, by his armor, it is different than everyone else's. It is the king's armor. And two, because he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. He was a tall man himself. He was known for that. They come upon him and they say, what a find. And his sons are there surrounding him. And there their dead bodies lie. And what they do is they strip them naked. Take their stuff. Take out a sword and cut Saul's head off. They send his armor to their asterisk, the temple that had their asterisk in it. And then they take his head and they display it in the temple of Dagon, their god. And they're proclaiming victory throughout the land. And once they're done taking his head and putting it there, they carry his body, his naked body, and his son's naked bodies to the city of Beth Shan. And they suspend their naked bodies on the wall of the city for everybody to see. And thankfully, there are some citizens of Jabesh Gilead who early in Saul's career had one of the things he did during his reign was protect them and they hear about it and the valiant men of the city go under cover of night that night and take the bodies down and give them a proper burial it is a sad day and a terrible way to die so we look at that and we go man what a what a story man you said well i'm not a king I don't go into physical battles. I'm not even a soldier. I'm not worried about somebody cutting my head off. And they don't do that to people these days unless maybe uh, you're one of the few and rare individuals that maybe gets kidnapped by a serial killer. So you might look at that and go, I don't have anything to be afraid of. And I would say that's the wrong way to look at it because there are takeaways from this story that are so applicable for us. And everything in the scripture, all the truth that we have, is always designed to lead us into a closer relationship with the creator of the universe. And so Jesus, as Lord of our lives, Helps us and enables us to walk with Him. And so as we look at this, I think we can look at it and go, Man, there, there's, there's, there's a way to die and face death and glory, and there's a way to die and face death and shame. Because when that happens, man, like another quote I love is like, you should die before you die because there are no chances after that. All that you are happens, and it's sealed upon that last day of life. And so what are the takeaways for us as a body of believers who are trying to listen to the Lord and be faithful to Him and, and trying to, to like, um, stay committed? I want to give you some things that I think are encouraging, to help you to push through some things where you may be struggling and, and motivate you a little bit and get you to think and think outside of what you can see only with your physical eyes and start to wake up to the reality of the spiritual world that exists that we see with eyes of faith. The first takeaway is this, as a man or woman lives, so are he or she dies. However you live is how you will die. Saul faced death the way he lived. He left God out and he lived the self-life. Everything was about him, all the way up even to the point of his death. He died proud, jealous, and a terror to himself and all around him. He died with no fear or hope in God. The chronicler of the kings in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, tells us, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord, and even consulted a medium for guidance, and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. That is the true self-life. I have no time for God because I am totally absorbed in me. I will even find out what I should do in ways other than what the Lord has told me that I should do. So we look at this and we go, whoa, man, this is is unbelievable. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you lose it. And Saul spent all of his time looking for his life, and that's why he never found it. And so we look at this and we go, man, this is the way many people die because it's the way many people try to live is they're trying to live by finding their life and they end up losing their life in the long run. And so the Lord is saying to us, man, as you live is how you will die. And so we keep putting this thing off into the future about making a commitment when the reality is it's a blind way to live. And that's the second way. Second takeaway is don't be blind. As I said, Saul no doubt knew about the Philistines and what they did to Samson. And he didn't want to experience that, so he took matters into his own hands, and he orders Doeg to finish him. And Doeg, as I said in the retelling of the account, will not do it, so he does it himself. Doeg is terrified, and he does the same, though we have no report of an injury to him. There's no account in scripture that Doag was wounded in the battle. And so here we have a man that is the armor bearer that is responsible for Saul, his right hand man, who is not wounded, but takes his life because he watches his leader do the same. Though Saul could see, he was blind. Let us take a journey back to the story of Samson. Though though Samson was blind, he could see. His eyes had been gouged out. He was in a hopeless place of grinding in the prison, being made fun of, being touted. As a matter of fact, if we look at the story, and it is a fascinating read, if you look in Judges um, chapter 15, beginning at the end of uh, chapter 14. Hold on. 16. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. Now, let's just contrast the death of these two men, because one of them did not want to be captured by the Philistines, but the other one did get captured by the Philistines. And no doubt, while he was grinding at the mill in prison, we've seen many uh, people take their lives in prison. They just can't take it anymore. And so here's a man that no doubt could have found a way to take his own life, but he leaves that in the hands of the Lord. And it says in verse 22, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice, guess who? To Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. And you want to talk about humiliating, they've gouged your eyes out. Now they're bringing you out in front of everybody. Who knows what it means for them to have him perform for them? And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, "Put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them." Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching. Samson performed. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O oh God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. You see where he's leaving the hand of death? With God. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him, and they brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. As we look at that story, we go, man, here, here, it's contrasting the, the way to live. We, we either live in dependence on the Lord, and even in times of failure, we repent and we turn back to the Lord, or we constantly are rebelling away from what he is calling us to do. What's interesting about the story when we go back to Saul is that the men, the Philistines, didn't find him till the next day. Had he left things in God's hands, now, no doubt he was going to die. That was already been, had been foretold. He was going to die. He was wounded critically. The story tells us that the, the account of the, the um, uh, battle tells us that. But Doeg could have gotten him and his son's bodies out by the cover of night, because night was falling. But he was so afraid of what might happen that he didn't do what he should have done, and left that into the hands of the Lord. And because Samson did leave it in the hands of the Lord, he was able in his death to do more damage to the Lord's enemies than he did in his life. There are two different ways to die. I'm reminded uh, when we think of the blind leading the blind, because I see that um, uh, Doag, he couldn't see either. Saul couldn't see spiritually, so he takes his life, and he leads Doag into the same thing. And so I'm reminded of Jesus saying in Luke chapter 6, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. It's a reminder of the importance and power of discipleship. You will be like your teacher. Doeg was like his teacher. His teacher was destructive and he was destructive. His teacher took his life, and he took his life. And you will be like those who are teaching you. And it's so vitally important that we go, therefore, and make disciples and teach them how to follow Jesus. Don't just teach them to go to church and listen to great worship and great sermons. I hope you think the sermons are great. Okay? That's not what it's about. It's about discipleship. It's about following the Lord. And this teaches us the importance of being intentional with discipleship. And that brings us to our last takeaway. A life is built day by day. Saul tried to please God with spurts of religion instead of consistent obedience. Just little spurts here and there. A true life is built by one act of obedience at a time, day by day. Amen? A life like Saul's is built by one act of disobedience at a time. You see, if you're not intentional about following the Lord and being faithful, you will unintentionally be unfaithful. Day by day, like Saul didn't get here overnight, man, it was a life that was built, a series of decisions that started to set in motion a pattern and a lifestyle that led him to this particular place in his life. And if you take on the mindset that you will obey eventually, you are day by day building a life of unfaithfulness. And if your death day comes, you will not go out in glory. Now, Am I saying that you don't know Jesus? No, I'm saying that there is a way to die in glory and there's a way to just die. And man, when I face death, it's something that I want to be able to look forward to. As a matter of fact, it should be the greatest experience of my life and I think it is the key to enjoying life is being able to look forward to death. I do not fear it. As the Apostle Paul tells us, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. I often tell people who are dying, last breath here, first breath there. no fear whatsoever, and it gives me such assurance and such clarity in my life right now as I live day by day. So day by day, we are building. And here's the big idea. Face life right now, and you will face death right then. Like, that's, that, that's it, man. That's, that's what the Lord is trying to say to us, is that when we're, when we're facing it in the right way, when it comes, we will face death in the same way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I have preached a lot of funerals in the last 26 years. Preached one a couple of weeks ago. And what I can tell you, the more faithful a person is, the easier and more enjoyable the funeral is to preach. And the more unfaithful a person is to the Lord, the harder and more difficult it is to preach that funeral. And I am reminded of Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. If death came today, how would you face it? How would you face it? Because it's coming. And so all of us as believers who have hope in Christ ought to be living life to the fullest and have zero fear of death. We ought to be living lives of faithfulness. And we ought to be like looking and going, man, where do I need to like shift in my thinking? What's holding me back? Am I day by day building a life of unfaithfulness or am I living a life of faithfulness? Be encouraged that the Lord is to help you. He's there to help you day by day to walk with him. And the more committed you get to it, the more you will see the power of the Lord rolling through your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to receive communion. Communion is something the Lord has given us to remember Him by. Something to remind us of who He is, what He has done, and how that has changed our lives. The Scripture teaches us in the book of Corinthians that we should not do it and participated in it in an unworthy manner, that we should examine our hearts before proceeding, as it's something to help us connect with the Lord. So in light of the context of today's sermon and faithfulness and unfaithfulness, I challenge and encourage you to take a few moments to answer the question, how would you faith, face death if it came Today, And if you're not in that place where you could say, man, I I can say I'm faithful. If you can't say that today, I have good news for you. Um, The Lord draws nigh unto those who are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The Lord teaches us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I could say to you that Samson, we looked at him, and I could say, man, the Lord Lord continued to move in Samson's life in spite of some major disobedience. So I would say to you it was based upon repentance. And so I'd encourage you just to take a moment and and just like give it back to the Lord and get serious. Let let, let this be a day, man, if you're not walking in, in faithfulness and being intentional with it. Let this be a day where you are like the Israelites when they cross the Jordan River and you pull out a memorial stone and you stack it up and you say, man, that day, the first February, the first Sunday in February 2019, I laid down a foundational stone on what my life will be built on, that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.